Hello, hello. This is Shuki here on a wonderful evening of Commercial Victory. I will not be in the podcast today. We're going to be in the show today with FFG. Those bastards, they even freaking wait for me, man, you know? Maybe because I was gone for 10 hours, but it's okay. They're learning. Anyway, it's a wonderful, wonderful show. Um, I'll quickly give my thoughts at the beginning of the episode. So... I thought that the game was phenomenal for an average boring game. It was phenomenal. Um, really, VAR takes the wind out of your emotion when you see Trotter's goal that he absolutely deserved go in to then be very consistently um, removed from our lives. But we won't forget it. And then first half was done and then second half martinelli with an unbelievable goal with a nice pass from the one who deserved the first goal and we could say that yeah really quickly happy with the changes that arteta made i don't think we missed eddie too much but i'll leave the deep analysis to the boys ffg and nomics um we'll be back soon with a look ahead for everton thank you very much enjoy the podcast Welcome to the Carpet Chat. Uh, Nomics is here with FFG. Um, we just finished, uh, I guess not just finished, but an hour since the Leicester game. Uh, we got a lot to talk about in this boring-ass game. Uh, it's If Midlands was a game, I think this would be it. Uh, just It's a boring area, to perfect place to play a boring game. Uh, but first, let me introduce FFG. How are you, FFG? Happy to be here, and yeah, that's why they call it the Midlands. Everything in it is mid. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, definition of mid. Um, first off, you weren't here to talk about the absolute hilarity that was the Villa match. Um, I just want to give you the floor as long as you want to laugh, to to crack jokes, to do whatever you want about how you felt during and after the Villa game. So the floor is yours. I'm just here to celebrate because I know I fit a few unique roles in this pod and and in fandom in general. Uh, I am the Jorginho stan, and I'm sure there will be plenty of time for that. Another Jorginho masterclass. That's all he's capable of doing. I'm also the Emmy Martinez apologist, though. You know, I love anyone who stands up to UEFA, anyone who opposes the European hegemony of global football, um, because that's just great. So I'm here for Emmy Martinez thrusting into the World Cup Golden Glove. I'm here for Emmy Martinez talking about Arsenal in every single interview he will ever give for the rest of his life. And I'm here for Emmy Martinez doing his part, doing a hell of a lot more than Bird Leno or Petr Cech or hell, even Chesney ever did for an Arsenal title charge, doing his part, delivering three points to the Arsenal, and just in case it wasn't enough, doing his added part, getting forward and allowing that extra insurance goal to get through, giving Gabby Martinelli his confidence back, giving him his spark back, and giving Fabio Vieira maybe the uh, account-opening assist he needed to claim that left mid-spot banish granite jaco once and for all so emmy martinez as always a master class and an arsenal legend a cult legend at least a hero on the day and i was happy to be there i was happy to uh not be here i would have been happy to be here as well but that's how things work out and uh held the title charge back on thank you villa okay uh well that was well said um 
I was going to say the floor is yours. I'm not going to add or critique anything you said. So let's just get straight into the absolute snooze fest at the Midlands. Um, so people like to do headlines, you know, that's kind of boring. You know, that's what newspapers are for. But what real gripping journalism is, is when you log on to Facebook and you see these absolute artistic captions that make you want to click it. And you realize you have to click out of 50 links just to see one photo. And then you press next page to get a little more information. The next page, get a little more information. So let's just say, let's just say, what is your Facebook clickbait headline of the day? Mick Arteta played Trissard at False 9. And you're not going to believe what happened next. Big Leo Trissard, the old man, hasn't slept in a month. Hair is going gray. Hair's going to start falling out on the pitch sooner rather than later. we got to use this guy while we've got him because he might drop dead at any moment. And he came through. Uh, Genuinely, I thought the attack looked a lot more functional. I think there were a lot of individual mistakes that led to bad final moves that limited Arsenal to 0.65 XG or whatever they had. Although throw an extra XG and a half on there for uh, badly disallowed, a, a penalty not given, an alleged offside that we'll never see the lines for, who the hell knows. So more functional than the XG suggests. But in general, I thought when they screwed up, it was individual screw-ups. I thought the attack was kind of clicking like it used to. And I think the secret is the uh, 85-year-old Belgian man at the tip of the spear, uh, or the false tip of the spear as a false nine, I suppose. Yeah, uh, well said. Um, just that that VAR disallowed goal, that is absurd. Uh, you know, we you want me to think the worst goalkeeper in the league, the reason why he wasn't able to get his hands on that ball was because he got a minor hand contact with Ben White when he was the one that put his hand at, in Ben White to kind of hold him off a little bit. Um, you just never see that get called anywhere else. People can tackle our players in the box. People can rip the shirts off Gabriel Magalhães. They can they can push Saliba into the post. They could knock uh, Eddie into the goalkeeper, and nothing happens. But they a can little wrap bit up hand- Ramsdale on a corner, yeah. right? Just oh, arms okay. around him. Yeah, exactly. And then you tell me a little bit of hand holding on a ball that went over the flappiest goalkeeper in the league's hands. We didn't even try to lift up his right hand. It's not like he tried to lift up his right hand and it was impeded. You, he didn't even try. He went left hand up, and then it went out. And there's also an argument to be made that it wasn't the same phase of play because it got went all the way to the corner, and they recycled the ball, and they passed again, passed the Trussard, which is a great finish. Which just, it's so unfortunate. He deserved that goal. He deserved you know, it for funny. the one he put in. And this is only funny in my own head, but the fans at home, they're going to have to trust me on this. Uh, Nomix, I was talking about the XG not representing an actual XG because of bad VAR choices. I was being nice and wasn't even counting the actual overturned goal. I was just thinking the Saka penalty not given, the Martinelli phantom offside. I wasn't even going for the Ben White hand-holding incident, which really is a very Ben White incident. Um, ben, I will hold your hand if you're looking. Um, yeah. But I wasn't I mean, even going to go there. So, I, well, I'm going there because peop, I, you know, I played a lot of football in my life. I've watched more football in my life than I played. Um, the, the, you just never see that get called, and it's what what happened to this English game where they want to talk about oh men in the box who you know it's going to get rough because every time we get no penalty called or no var check on a shirt pull or straight up grappling Gabrielle who happens in every single corner all the pundits are like well that's this is the English game it's not it's not supposed to be soft but you want to give that to a goalkeeper like it, it's it's absurd um 
And um, and to piggyback off another bad refereeing decision, it, I guess it's okay to tackle someone in the box if you if it's an accident. So you can. So I think we should train Saliba and, and, and Gabrielle to just fall forward like they their shoelaces are untied and tackle this center forward. Maybe we should try that when we play um, when we play City next and see if we can do a Highland or something because that's the only way you get away with it apparently. Um, People think I'm slandering Big Gabby when I ask if he has bozo jeans. I'm just spreading the narrative. He's got bozo jeans. He's tripping over his feet. He can't help it. It's not a penalty. I think it's less bozo bozo jeans and just sledgehammer feet. I just think he has some absolute chonky boys on him. His dogs are absolute... They're not dogs. They're fucking wolves on his feet. That's how fucking big they are. So I think think that's less of a bozo jeans moment. But it, it just... I'm just... I couldn't understand when, when they were looking at the VAR for the Saka tackle or the whoever tackled him in the box. I was like, "There's no way they don't give a pen for this." And then I, I mean, was did thinking, they look? Oh. We it, assume they, they looked. There was a VAR check, a short okay. VAR okay. check. I don't know who was on VAR. I'll take their word for it. Right? I guess we just have to believe them. And it's like I don't want to steer into this Arsenal conspiracy narrative, but it seems to not happen to any other team on a weekly basis. For the last, I mean, if we're going to go through Arsenal history, it's probably started in the 90s when we started integrating African, African-American black players more um, than other clubs. Yeah. And no, it's, it's systemic biases. Right? It's not a conspiracy, right? Yeah, Arsenal exactly. so in the mind of these bald, white, English, Manchesterian refs. They're black. They're Londoners. They're cosmopolitan. Right? It's they're foreign. It's just, they're foreign. It's completely, totally below the surface. I'm sure all of these refs will swear there's not a bit of bias in their bodies. I'm sure they probably even believe it. But below the surface, Arsenal is all of these things that they are not, and that Man U are not, that Liverpool generally are not. That Man City occasionally are, that Chelsea occasionally are. Right? There are some clubs who do get it a little, but no one gets it like us because no one, no one had the Invincibles. Right? No one did what we did when these refs were in their more formative years. And if I'm not mistaken, we're the first club to to feel the fully eleven foreign, um, fully foreign eleven in the early 2000s with Wenger. Uh, and they've hated us. They hated that. Absolutely hated it. And I, I understand. I understand. Like um, the in, the uncon or the bias that people have. Everyone has biases, right? But it just seems like the current state of refereeing is not even like a person. Like it's not their specific bias. It's more of like a a tradition of referees in the Premier League, where they're like, "Hey, listen, back in the day." It was it was it was um, same old Arsenal always cheating, and we kind of just continued that. And and they it's the same narrative with the media when they're like, "Oh, Arsenal's gonna bottle it. They're soft. They go they play these games." And it's like we're not that team anymore. We aren't that team. Or you watch us play. We don't dive nearly as much as other teams do. We we don't scream for fouls. I mean, there was a a month period. We, where we, we scream for fouls now. We do well, some screaming. Now now. Do. I love it. Now I love to see it. But we no, do for do sure, it. you gotta yeah. earn it. Especially when you have Saka, your star boy who just signed a new contract, getting his ankles absolutely destroyed every match. Thankfully, he's knock on wood made of made of fucking steel, and he doesn't complain nearly as much as he should complain. If that was Harry Kane, not getting the calls, oh my goodness, Conte would be at the media twenty four seven talking about it. So um, I think that's a good headline. I think that was a good um, overview of the events that happened, the or lack thereof. I think I'm going to go with my headline or my Facebook clickbait is that um, is that 
foxes get slaughtered by guns at home. Uh, you know, people love gore. People love seeing uh, unintentional gore, maybe. I don't think people like seeing... In, uh, if they know an animal is going to get shot, they don't want to see it. But if they maybe get dragged in a little bit, they'll want to watch it. We destroyed them. I'm sorry. One nothing is not nearly uh, justified for how well we played. We were. I did not. I don't know if you watched the game completely. I know it's earlier for you, but it's, I, wa- I am not a plastic novice. I watch every game completely listen. live at irrationally early hours. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, some people, you know, to each their own. You know, I heard the UK supporters are plastic and they couldn't even watch the game at their houses today, you know? I right, can't figure to... out piracy because they're too plastic. It's shocking. Yeah. It's shocking. Yeah, exactly. They're so plastic, those uh, UK fans. Um, but yeah, we one nothing. We probably deserved two or three, I think. Uh, maybe not by our, fa- by our final third play, but just pure domination. They had, what, 0.01 XG. They had one shot. It, it's, it, it doesn't, it, people look at the score, the media, I know they're going to look at the score and be like, oh, they scrapped it, blah, 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 this all. We didn't scrap it. This is, this reminded me of um, the Brentford game where we dominated them kind of, but they, even Brentford had more chances. Brentford had way more chances. So I don't know, yeah. we just dominated it. And it looked like, Kind of the, I felt like the second half of the Villa game was a turning point for us, where we we looked like the team we looked before the World Cup, and I think this win away from home was kind of that same vibe, where it was never in doubt. I think it was never in doubt. We never felt worried. Saliba and um, and Gabriel laughing, easiest day at the office for them today. Ramsdale could have took a nap on the field. Uh, it, it was. It was more deserving. It was deserving of more than one nothing. Uh, the final third play, I think, we'll get to later on in the pod. It can it can be better. Uh, I did welcome seeing Trussard start up front. I think it gave us a different dynamic. It gave us uh, some quick feet in in, uh, in close spaces. Something that Enkedia doesn't have. Uh, something that Jesus does have. And it, it's kind of like if we can mix Enkedia and Trussard together, we might get like a mini Jesus. But that's a different discussion. Uh, so what do you think about the our performance? Yeah, you know, I think in terms of trend lines, you think about what we were worried about coming off of the Everton loss, the Brentford draw, the City loss. The defense having bozo moments playing out the back, none of that today, not even, not even an inch of stress. Um, defense maybe having bozo moments doing some defending as well, certainly none of that today. Big kudos to Gabby and Saliba. Uh, there were some maybe potentially in a different world scary counterattacks that made it to the back line that were just ushered into absolutely nothing. And we were worried that we couldn't bypass these packed midfields, that these teams sitting deep, we had the toothpaste problem again. We were only playing back and forth, you know, had the ball around, stuck in the middle, mid-block football. And we did just that. We were able to bypass the midfield. We consistently brought the ball up the pitch. We changed direction. And yeah, the final third was not pretty. It was not a vintage Arsenal performance in the final third. But I don't think that's what people were worried about when they were freaking out that we couldn't beat a single 4-5-1 team ever again. I think they were worried about bypassing that five in the middle. We did just that. And we did it, I think, as effectively as ever, even without Jesus with Trossard up there up top. Yeah, uh, well said. Um, you know, despite it being a perf- good performance, I think there are some critiques uh, we can we can make, some players that perhaps we can discuss um, maybe a little bit later. But 
let's talk about the left pod. The left pod has a, been a big discussion lately, uh, not only in the Arsenal world, but I feel like the general media is starting to kind of question our left pod a little bit too. Uh, maybe they're a few, a couple, like a month behind or so, but how did you feel? I, we made a change today uh, with Trossard for Enkedia. Um The rest remained the same. How do you feel the left, the left pod did with that specific change? I think this was a like lowest, lowest, but still meeting the standards performance of the left pod. This was functional, but no one besides Zinchenko, I think, was particularly good. Xhaka looked limited and Xhaka-ish, but didn't do anything blatantly wrong, right? Was active, was moving, was even perhaps useful once we were up a goal in terms of kind of locking down that midfield. Uh, Martinelli, again, wasn't exactly dominating his man. He still seems to have maybe lost the ability to cut outside and kick it in with his left foot to cross or to shoot like he used to have. But he was doing the job. Obviously, he scored the goal. He was providing that width. And similarly, if we're including Troussard in that left pod, he's not Cabby Jesus, but he was doing false nine things. He wasn't making kind of pointless off-the-shoulder runs. He was dropping deep. He was combining. And again, didn't get his goal, deserved his goal, but it all really functioned. So I think a good Zinchenko game, not a totally out-of-the-doghouse game for a Xhaka or a Martinelli, but everything actually functioned for the first time since, I don't even know when, since Man U, I guess. You know, I'm going to be a little more harsh on Xhaka than you will. I think he was, and this I'm talking in possession, which was that was us majority of the game. I think he was god-awful. Um, I think from the moment the whistle blew, we had that chance where I think we won on the right side. I think it was Ben White up to Saka, and we played it over left side, and it was it was Shaka running onto it, and it was kind of like a two-on-one, and he just, it was, it was slow for the touch. He was slow to kind of open his body if he was going to shoot, too, too slow to make a decision to pass, and he just it just gets blocked. And I just thought to myself, Holy shit, if that was ESR, or, or if Troussard was there, or if maybe even Vieira was there, I think he's running at him with speed, making a defender make a decision to come to him or to drop off, and either way, I think that becomes a goal any day of the week. Um, I think that's, an, I feel like that's going to be a big moment when Arteta looks this week when uh, preparing for Everton. I don't think he's going to take shock out for Everton, especially because we lost against him that uh, last match, and I feel like we kind of need the stability in the midfield with Onana, Ducare, and whoever the other one they have in there is. Um, so, yeah, so I, I thought Shaq was terrible on the ball. I thought he slowed everything down. Just he, he looks tired from the World Cup. So he came into preseason in amazing shape and like playing it quickly, getting to good areas, shooting the ball, making quick decisions. And I think he's kind of just lost that step. Uh, and kind of reverted back to the shock of years prior, but not as much of a liability on defense because we don't need him to be. Um, I think there are serious questions as to the role that Zinchenko and Shaka are doing. I've said, I've, you've heard me say it for weeks now. It's it's so duplicative. They just do the same thing in too many areas of the pitch for me. Um, I know I, I've suggested perhaps bringing Tierney in for uh for Shaka and moving Zinchenko to the mid- middle the more I watch this team and the more I look at our schedule I think the the move is to keep Zinchenko where he is and bring in a Vieira or bring in a uh, Emil Smith-Rowe in that left eight and just let him play like an, a second attacking midfielder or a second 10 so that's the way I look at the left pod is it was it better today I think so because I felt like Martinelli got in a little bit better spaces today and I think 
you I think it's less about Enkedia for uh, Martinelli and more about Shaka taking up too much of the inside for Martinelli to cut into. Um, but again, this is going to be a developing theme, I think, for the rest of our season. I think if we're going to win the league, we have to figure it out. Uh, I don't know if we can continue the left eight being... I won't say dysfunctional right now because it's a little bit better, but but less effective than it was in the first half of the year. Uh, that to, the left part is probably one of our strengths, probably the strength for us in the be- in the first half of the year, uh, considering how the praise Zinchenko got, the praise Shaq got, the praise Martinelli was getting. So it's it's going to be developing. I think there's still some um, experimenting to do there, and it's a matter of if Arteta will do that. Do you want to add anything to it? Just man, if we had this show two years ago, you and me would have had some of the best shock awards. Like we missed out. This is a terrible season to get an Arsenal podcast going because there was screaming matches to be had. Uh, I do second a lot of what you're saying, and just to focus on the Jaka part and the Jaka Zinchenko element. I do agree they're pretty redundant. Uh, I've been saying that for a while now. I think sometimes it expresses itself as Xhaka playing a double pivot type style when that's Zinchenko's best use is as that outlet, as that pressure release valve. Sometimes it expresses itself uh, with Xhaka doing weird stuff like holding width and doing these non-Xhaka type things. My two takes are that one, I strongly agree these are the games where we need a second 10. If we're playing with 90% possession, if we're playing against a low block, it needs to be a Vieira or an ESR, and if it's not those guys, we need to go out and buy the guy who it's going to be, because that needs to be an option for games like this. We probably need a Jaka type, a bigger, more robust guy for games like a Manchester City, but this is not that. My other take, and this is coming again, I am a Jaka fan, I am a Jaka head, um, I have you know thrown my fair share of Albanian Eagles in my day, you know, um, my take on Jaka's performance levels this season is that he wasn't as good at the beginning of the year as people think he was. This has been a four-goal, four-assist Granite Jaka season on the way this entire time. He just got, what, three of those goals and three of those assists in the first nine games of the year. The man out-hit his XG. He out-hit his XA or his XGA, whatever it's supposed to be. Got a lot of his end product out of the way all at once. And people decided that he was this goal-scoring wonder kid of a box-to-box. He's not that guy. He's Granite Xhaka, for better or for worse. Sometimes it's for better. For day, I'll give you that. It was a bit more of a for worse. And uh, I, I think we need him at times. I think it's not a wise investment to go out and replace him right now. But I think this was a game that called for that 10, for that Vieira. Or God knows, maybe ESR exists. Yeah, um, you know, I think there's a little bit of truth to what you said about Shock in the first half of the year. I'm not saying he was amazing. I don't. Th- I'm not saying he's he was he's the best left eight in the league or one of the top. Some people were saying he's one of the top five left eights in the league in the first half of the year. And I I always felt it was less about him being a revolutionized player and more of teams not understanding his role at us for us anymore. I feel like people thought. Oh, he's gonna be deep line playmaker. He's gonna be he's gonna be a, a you know a double pivot. And then when we were pushing him up field, and he was getting these nosebleeds. Um, he people were like, oh shit, what do we do? What the fuck do we do? Like I I remember the, specifically that Leicester game where he scored at home. It just sem- it seemed like when the center back turned and noticed Shaka there, he's like, what the fuck? How is how the fuck is Shaka here? He's not supposed to be here. We didn't plan for this. 
and then the World Cup break came, and then, and then people were like, okay, listen, when when we play Arsenal, we know they're going to overload the left side as much as they can in the box, blah, blah, blah. And I think teams are realizing that, and their response is low blocks. And it's been more successful than the first half of the year. And But if we're go- if you're going to be a great team, you got to break down a low block. If you're going to win the league, you're going to have to break down a low block. And the only team to win the league that didn't have to break down a low block was probably Leicester, because I think people never really believed they are going to win the league, even when it was like the last month of the season. Um, so I, I think, I, I think when, when you're, a, when you're, when you're giving teams issues and p- teams are going, are looking at your, that fixture weeks in advance and are already panicking about it and they go low block, you have to, it's it just, it's just what's going to happen. And we have, we're finding where, I think slowly we're finding ways to get around the low block. It doesn't look pretty, but to win a title, it's not going to look pretty. You know, it's a, there's there's very rare seasons where the team that wins a title it was all pretty throughout. Um, so I think that's good. Uh, that's a good dis- way to end the left pod discussion. Uh, so you know, the U.S. is we have this popular sports channel called Sports Center. Um, in Sports Center, they have the you know they highlight the achievements of the day in sports, and they have a top ten. We're gonna we have a little bit of our own type of center. It's called Slander Center. And you know we're gonna we're gonna pick out some people, some maybe environments, you know anything we want, uh, stuff that you know shit happens, and we need to call them out on it. So do you have any any anything you want to talk about on um, your slander center? Uh, so Aaron Ramsdale does ten podcasts a year, but he won't show up and do the carpet chat. I think that's incredibly suspect of Aaron Ramsdale. Uh, slander center, uh, slander center. You stumbled over it as well, so it's not just I me. Did, I did. Give me Eddie Nketia. Let me go after the man. Eddie Nketia, he can't play left wing yet. He's not a good sub yet. He can't perform that well with the B team. Although, truthfully, in, in years past, he has delivered us some goals in the Carabao Cup in the Europa League, so this is really pure slander. You cannot be an Eddie Nketiah-level player for Arsenal and only be able to play striker when you start with all the playmakers around you. That's not an option. When we have a Leandro Trossard, who let's pretend Trossard and Nketi are the same level. They're not. Trossard's a better player. But he can play left wing, maybe not perfectly. He can more closely mirror the false nine part of what Jesus does. He doesn't change the style up front as much. Hell, he might be the greatest attacking left eight substitute uh, available off a bench in the Premier League if we uh, ever actually have the depth to be able to do that. You cannot be a one-trick pony if you're going to play at the level Nketiah plays at. And I think today was another great example of a dud of an Eddie substitute appearance that shows that even if he's on the level, and again, this is a slander center take, God knows if I believe this, he is a one-trick pony. He cannot succeed off the bench, on the wing, etc. And that's not enough for where we're at right now. Yeah, and I was that was going to be my slander center. I, I have something else, though, but... Spot on. It's, you know, I was really tough on Eddie last year uh, before he started games. I kind of made a fool of, like, made a mockery of his appearances. Uh, it kind of, it kind of all um, metastasized in that Everton away performance where he had that header chance at the end and he missed the header and it hit his shoulder and it went out. And I remember like it was yesterday because I'm like, you fucking idiot! You come, you come on for energy. Like when you're a sub, the only thing you need to do is work hard. You have to work, you have to, you have to be the, if you're given, you have to give 10 minutes of running around, pressuring, you got to look gas at the end of games. And it seems like 
he comes in and he just he he feels like he needs like 10 minutes to kind of get into the flow of the game which you know cool if you're not a world-class athlete makes sense right but you're a world-class athlete you are you are the top zero zero one percent of your profession right or of your sport in the world you have to you have to be able to watch these matches and know what your job is when you enter the match they were there for the take when he came on they were getting tired and they're getting more loose their low block was fading a little bit and I felt like he just stood around. He wasn't running to the corner trying to play those little one-twos with Odegaard or Saka or, or, or Shaka. He was kind of just getting his, his – I like to joke around. He was getting his fucking Apple Watch fitness rings closed. He was getting his, his, his fitness goals closed for the day. He wanted to get that stand for – yep, he wanted to get his stand for five hours, 30 minutes of, of, of cardio or whatever, of movement, and then burn 300 calories. That's all he was doing that match. He didn't care about anything else. And it's frustrating. It really is because you can see when he's good, when he's on, he looks so good. He looks near Ivan Tony level to me. The way he moves, the way he, he plays quickly. When he was playing against Man United at the Emirates, he looked like a man possessed. He was playing those ones. He was flicking it over players. And you have to ask yourself, you're, what is he, 23 now? Is he approaching 24? He's around that age, right? Um, you're not 19 years old anymore. You don't have an excuse. You've been in the Premier League for three years now, right? About three years He, he when he broke onto the scene, of, uh, four years maybe, uh, playing, you pl- started nine matches last year, started about, I think, five or six now. You're past that level of having uh, excuses as to why you're playing, why you're not giving effort, why you look confused out there. And it's, it's tough because, you know, if he starts a few games, he'll score a couple goals and we'll shut up. But I noticed... It's it's coming off the bench is bad, and then when he's not getting the ball in the areas that he wants, and he only wants the ball in his areas, he gets upset and he puts his head down. Not head down, but he doesn't put as much effort in. But then when he scores the goal, whether it's a little chipping or a little scrappy goal, he looks like he's buzzing. He runs all over the place. He's excited. We just want that Eddie. We want that Eddie, that switched on Eddie 24-7. Give me that Doganelli mentality on Enkedia. You know, that might be so be- beneficial. So I'm with you on um, on Eddie being the sl- slander center spotlight. Uh, anything else to add on Eddie there? No, I think we went in really hard on Eddie, and uh, we'll find out if we actually have listeners because they'll be letting us hear it. Yeah, I mean, my mom will listen hopefully later tonight, and she'll let me know. Um, she an so, fan? She, yeah, she is. She loves she loves her uh, melanin voice. Um, so, my slander center spotlight. You took mine. I'm gonna go hard because we. This is give us. This is just fun. Let's go VAR. VAR. You know, it, it's hard to defend VAR. Which I'm a huge VAR defender. I'm someone who says that you know people forget how bad it was before VAR. People forget how blatantly bad some decisions were that were costing matches. Um, and the worst thing about not having VAR is that these refs can get away with pleading ignorance, right? They can say, you know, I didn't see it. My bad. Like, I can't keep an eye on absolutely everything. I don't have eagle eye. Like, that. is that what that tennis thing is called, eagle eye? Um, VAR... Yeah, probably, yeah. Yeah, VAR has no excuse... English VAR, because other countries don't have as bad of an issue on VAR than the, the UK does. English VAR is, is is this dumbest concept. You're telling me you have already refs that are probably well underqualified for the best league in the world. Probably, honestly, the best sporting league in the world. Not just football. This is elite 
This is elite teams, elite level. Everyone's watching in the world. No other, no one matches this, right? You need the best officials. And if you don't have the best officials, you can't have those same lackluster officials being the ones in VAR checking. It's like checking the mistakes of others. It's I'm. It's kind of akin to like. When there's this is gonna sound awful in the United States when there's police brutality and then they hire a internal invest internal department to review the police brutality it's like no fucking shit you didn't find anything wrong with it because it's you're you're checking your own people right and it's kind of like this part of an unwritten hand or unwritten rule that's like hey listen don't say I made a mistake here and then when you have a mistake I'm not gonna I'm gonna, I'll help you out too right what VAR should do and I've been saying this for probably over a year now and I'm I don't know if I'm the only one but the NBA has a very good review system. Their referees suck. Their referees are awful in the NBA, right? But they have this place, Secaucus, New Jersey. If you know, any, if if we have any foreign, any listeners in general, but any foreign listeners that don't know, Secaucus, New Jersey is a shithole. It's like a, it's like an industrial park only. Like it's it's pretty shit. But they have a, a headquarters for the NBA there where it's all the rules experts. It's not other referees. It's rules experts that on a nightly basis, there's like there's usually about four to five matches being played at the same time. Whenever there's a challenge on the field, or, or on the court, should I say, they're all reviewing the rules and seeing that what it is, and they're, they're processing, they're, they're relaying it to the referees on the court. Um, and I think that's what the Premier League has to do. You have to have a one location, whether it's in London. I don't even care if fucking Manchester. I don't care. You get these people who write the rules, these rules experts, maybe attorneys who are, read these rules and know by the book these rules, know the examples, a room of them, and they're all present at the same time for these matches. And then when something like this comes up where it's not an offside where you can just draw the line or whatever, if, if it's an actual foul in the box called, away, called back or like the United match where we score and they call the foul back, you bring these... You bring these ref- these uh, rules experts in and say, hey, listen, in this situation, was this, would you say this is a clear and obvious foul error? Like, blah, 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 all this stuff. It, it, what's the rule here? Uh, if you can't draw the line for some reason, how do you, how do you, how do, you do this for offside? So it, it just, you can't have referees that are bad reviewing other ref- referees that are bad. Um, and I think that solves a lot of the problems. Right now, the VAR, VAR is getting more of the blame than the referees themselves, and I think that's a cop-out. These referees are shit. But um, the VAR itself, the sh- the actual theory of VAR is good. It's just the it's just the execution that's poor. Um, and today we saw that we saw that with um, the uh, the goal that wasn't the goal by by Trossard. Like I don't know how it's the, how that's clear and obvious. I don't know how it's clear and obvious. You don't you can barely see him holding the hand. You don't know how much force is on his hand. It could very well just be a, a, a grasp like that. If, if you, I'm putting my ben right White hand gives over a my left firm hand. handshake. Actually, I do think yeah, we know barely ben a, firm gives a firm handshake. Yeah, yeah, and, and and I don't get how you. There's also questions about phase of play and all that stuff. And then for the Saka tackle in the box, how is that not a pen? Like shocking it's stuff. Kind of, yeah. It's kind of getting glossed over a little bit. Like, oh yeah, it's not a pen. Whatever. This isn't like a handball rule where it's like, if it's sorry, my dogs are making more noise. If it's um, if it's an accident, it's it's not a foul. That's not how it works, right? Because we we've been burned way too many times from that. Remember David Luiz, the little tap in the knee uh, on the Wolves game and gave away the pen, right? That that was that, I'm the sure the worst that call I've ever seen in my life. Worse than the Martinelli oh, double yellow 
Also against yeah. Wolves. Fun fact. Um, yeah, there's even been a, worse. We, yeah. If you were to make a top ten of the worst calls in the Premier League in the last three, four years, we'd probably occupy six or seven of them. Um, it's it's been that bad for us. So refs refs need to sort it out. VAR needs to sort it out. And they want me to believe that Howard Webb is going to be the savior, right? Howard Webb, the one that was in the pocket of Sir Alex Ferguson for years. Howard Webb, the one who I think is from the Manchester area, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it's a safe bet. Yes, Howard Webb, who is the whitest white man in the world, right? Um, there's this diversity issue with referees. That's a whole different topic we can, we can touch upon. Yeah, also the overall, same topic, right? Today was a day where referees didn't cost us the game, thankfully. And there's been moments like that this season where the referees were bad, but it didn't cost us. And then we freak out only when it costs us. I think we have to freak out when it doesn't cost us, too, because then we have to, we have to point out that, listen, we're not just being... We're not just being salty fans. Like this is not happening just in the games we lose. This is happening in the matches we dominate it. Right. So, um, do you want to? At least we're consistent salty fans. Yeah, I don't want to make for a boring podcast by just agreeing with your thoughts here, but I do agree with basically all of your thoughts. So I'll just add two points. Um, one, a cab does include referees. That is for sure. And sport two, cops. they're sport cops. Two. These refs will not wear me down. They will not get me to hate VAR, no matter how hard they try. I have seen American Sport Video Review. I have seen World Cup VAR. And no matter how much these refs try to sabotage VAR to make us hate VAR, to make us want VAR gone, I will not be worn down. I will keep fighting the good fight. VAR is good. The people using it are dreadful. We need to fix VAR. Throwing it away is exactly what they want you to do, and I would hate to see it. So uh, that's just about it. Well said. Yeah, I, I think people forget how bad it was, really, without VAR. Um, we, it's, it's, I understand we all have that goldfish memory, but it, it was bad. It was so bad. Um, I, it's hard to even explain because it was it wasn't even it wasn't even decision every week it was de- decision every single match that was that was bad so let's move on um on the brighter side let's go to chub of the day the the fan favorite chub of the day uh if you want to if you want to refresh on what a chub of the day is um i i'm it's akin to you know seeing your first uh, nudie magazine or running into your first um inappropriate advertisement on a uh, illegal streaming site as a kid, and then you had you look down at your pants and they look a little, they're a little bit tighter because you're enjoying it. So, who's your chub of the day? Yeah, you know, just like when I was a kid, a little older, continental European, a little bit old school. Jorginho, the deep line playmaker is not dead. It's not a world of destroyers with beautiful passing. You can be an Italian man sitting at the base of a midfield, pinging passes, completely unable to run at a sprint. You can be that man, and I will always appreciate that man. I will always appreciate Jorginho, except for the uh, three days or so where I was freaking out that we bought another 32-year-old from Chelsea. But as long as we remove that portion, I have always and will always be there for you, Jorginho. Another magnificent performance. Uh, A couple cases, once again, where he gambled and transitioned defensively and lost. But uh, again, until it hurts us, I'm not going to say anything except for point it out. And uh, you take that. You take those gambles because they win a lot of the times. They don't always uh, lead to losses. He wins duels by gambling. He gambles intelligently. Uh, Maybe a fun reminder for everyone out there facing gambling ads. Uh, Don't do it unless you're good at it. Jorginho is. And he pings beautiful pass after beautiful pass. 
the compilation we could already make of fabulous Jorginho through balls that do not lead to Arsenal goals is it's quite a compilation already. And I hope by the end of the year we have an even better one and uh, maybe even a little compilation of Jorginho through ball assist. I think I deserve it. So uh, J20, my hero, and once again, my chub of the day. You know, you know, that was originally my chub of the day, so I'll touch upon it too. It's I, I explained this in the last pod, I think. I, I It's hard for me to like Jorginho. Um, and it's nothing to do with Chelsea and everything to do with him putting his nose up to Brazil and going to Italy and then trying to recruit Martinelli to do the same. It is um, wild and, that we have an Italian named Jorginho and a Brazilian named Martinelli. It is fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating. Certainly, a word. It seems like he's getting more handsome too. I don't know if it's like he's showering off the Chelsea scum that was on him. You I know? mean, you remember like, Fabregas at Chelsea when he was suddenly balding and hideous, right? That's oh, what ugly, Chelsea does to ugly. people, right? It's something to do with the racism fan base, racist fan base, and the oil oligarch. Um, and then that ugly, ugly blue and just the shit fucking field they pitch they play on. It, it's, it's, it's an accumulation of all of that. Right. And now they have bully DNA, which is like, for me, bully DNA, just like hot dog grease coming through his fucking, his, his forehead down. It just, think of like the sloppy American at a baseball game. That's what I think when I think about bully, uh, the way he presented himself in his first Chelsea match in the stand when he's like laying back with the bit with the the mismatched blazer with pants and shirt on it's just awful so that's chelsea dna and it seems like Jorginho, he's joined a real classy club arsenal's a classy club i mean i know there's people hate us like there's a lot of jokes being made the last decade or so two decades or so but we're known for being we're we're classy club we take care of our own we try to do things the right way business wise um we had a little bit of a uh, rwanda situation we're not you know that's not great um fly emirates emirates uh, dubious money but anyway um Jorginho, i when we signed him i said that i liked the signing because he would not play valuable minutes for meaningful minutes for us right I said, you know, he'll be the filler, he'll play cup games, he'll do this, he'll do that. He's not going to play meaningful minutes. He's played a lot of many meaningful minutes, and he's proved me wrong. Um, it still was a mistake to bring him on in the Everton match. After two days of training, um, our system's not something, like, no matter how smart you are, our system's not something you can learn in two days, uh, especially when, you have to, when you're changing it up to take out party. I, do I think that costs us a match? I don't think it costs us a match per se, but I think that it, smarter decisions could have been made and i think we could have maybe gotten a point there if we were a little smarter but since then he's been flawless he's been fucking flawless the thing with him is that he does have a mistake in him but much like i would say martinelli when he makes a mistake it's not where it's hurting us so like he'll make a risky pass but it won't be through the middle it will be to the side so we'll lose the ball maybe and then we'll be able to recover right uh, unlike Shaka and had his worst, you know, Shaka a few years ago when he'd make a stupid pass in the middle or Ceballos when he was spinning around the middle and just getting pushed away. Um, he's not like that. He's a smart player. He's a very smart player. Um, it kind of makes me okay with if we say party's healthy and we don't want to risk it maybe next match against Everton and go, hey, let's go Jorginho again. I'm kind of okay with that. Um, Jorginho, he, bring, he, he looks like he's starting to really love the club. Um, I think it's something to do with the away fans chanting his name already, something to do with this, we're in a title charge, something to do with that 
the bad I said this before, the badge weighs heavy. It's 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 the big fucking club, and we have to we never forget about that. Um, the, there's more no history of this Cech club. That, but uh, yeah, Peter Check. Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh god, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about Peter Check. Um, so but yeah, Jorginho was great again. Um, I think my chub of the day, and I'm this gonna be controversial, so I'm gonna preface this by saying I'm not saying he's a chub of the day because he played really well or his stock went up or whatever, but I'm gonna go Martinelli. Um, the reason I'm saying Martinelli for his flaws, which we know his flaws, we don't have to repeat them and maybe you will and that's fine. Um, he scored two straight games, two straight games. He has a goal, big goals. Um, he did it against Villa. He didn't let him being benched, put his head, he, uh, just make, affect his mentality. His mentality was, as always, I'm going to go push forward, attack, make the center, make the left back or right back or center back, make a decision if they can want to tackle me or not. And today, it seemed like it wasn't coming off in the first half. He was trying to. He was kind of. He had a, he had an opportunity where he could have played the cross. I think he went left footed shot and just kicked it into Rosie. It was a bad decision on his part. But the thing with him is he doesn't give up. He doesn't stop. He doesn't stop moving. It, there's this thing in Brazil um, that we call like it's like it's called gaha inside of you. My mom and my dad used to say when I used to play soccer, they used to, or football, they used to say like. Uh, you have to play with more gaha. It's like more, I think a literal transition is war, like with more war inside you, but it just means like dog. more desire. You got to have the dog in you. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly that. It's a dog in It's have that dog in you. And he has that dog in him. Whether it's, sometimes it comes out as doganelli and sometimes it comes off as a fucking curled finish in the bottom corner of the net. He has that in him. And I think w- mentality freaks like that are players you fucking need. Um, I, it kind of complements Saka a little bit, where Saka, you know, he doesn't stop do, he's doing what he's doing, but when he's not 100%, you see him trying to play the ball more rather than trying to take on players more, and that's fine. That's not a criticism. Like That's probably the smart thing to do, and Martinelli maybe should learn that a little bit, but in general, you want that threat of, like, imagine how deflating it must be for a right back to be shutting down someone, and they're still fucking running at you, and I, and I, it, Brings me back to Lamptey uh, in the first, in the J- early January match for Brighton, where people are like, oh, Lamptey's playing well against Martinelli. Man- Lamptey played well, and he scored two goals, right? I think it was he scored, or it was one goal, whatever it was. He kept going at Lamptey, and he was cooking him after um, like sixty minutes because he knows that if you keep running, they're gonna get tired. These fucking right backs are not athletic anymore. Like they're not athletic freaks. You see the Ben White is, but like in general, they're becoming bigger and they're becoming a little bulkier or they're, or they became more one dimensional where they're pushing forward more than defending. It's one or the other. We, we have the two, the kind of like the mix, which is funny, but my, my chub of the day is Martinelli bro. Keep on pushing. You have, you scored again. What is he on nine goals or 10 goals now? Whatever he's on. It's, um, I think it's nine goals, three assists. He's yeah. our. I think he's they're getting all up in the prem, goal. though. Yeah, yeah, all in the prem. Um, so they're big goals. Keep pushing. Let the Doganelli criticisms come. Let the let the risk of being pushed out by Trossard come. Just keep playing your game because it's going to be a blessing in disguise when he's a little more rested toward the end of the year when we get back from the international break against Leeds and uh, going up to Anfield. Uh, he's gonna be. I think he's gonna be rejuvenized. Re- uh, I think he's getting his touch back now, and I think his fitness will come back after the world, after the international break. Yeah, you know, I think you teed me up to highlight some more Martinelli faults, but I don't really want to do that. I, I love all our boys, including Gabby Martinelli. He's a player with limitations. 
that's okay. Every player has limitations, except for maybe Bukayo Saka. Um, but just about every other player has limitations. Martinelli is a player with limitations who is absolutely on the level of Arsenal and can absolutely be on the level of the highest possible level. He's got some some weaknesses. He's got plenty of strengths as well. And yeah, I think today was a day where he played into some of those limitations. He was limited in some ways where a second Bukayo Saka might have done a little more here or there. But despite that, he still hit his marks. He still showed up where he was supposed to. He had that dog in him. He had that fight. He held with. He cut inside when appropriate. He interchanged with Trossard. He trusted the system and played his role in it. And that got him a goal. Because he is on this level. He can play at this level. This system does work. Mick Arteta is a genius. And Martinelli's one of his guys. So he's one of my guys too. So, uh, no, I think a very good chub of the day for Martinelli as well. I wholeheartedly agree with you. Yeah, and I think we we tend to forget this dude wasn't someone who came from a top academy and broke his way into the league. He came from a lower division in Brazil, kind of where they barely streamed the matches, right? Got we signed him and everyone thought, oh, this guy's a good like young player for the future. Maybe who knows? Like we don't know much about him. First year, he's in the first team. He's a, he's 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 doing valuable minutes. He's playing well. We're shouting, maybe he should be striker for us. Yeah, never complain about anything. Never gotten any issues. He looks like a good kid. It's just he's Arsenal DNA. Like you look at him, he's Ars- Like he doesn't play the traditional Arsenal way of like. Of passing tiki taka type of like free flowing, but I feel like Wenger would have had a fucking field day with him. Um, I think he would. I, I think he's very much like Alexis. Not a, obviously he's not there yet. He's not there yet. But I mean, an early Alexis where he's very direct. He's gonna lose the ball a lot, but he's gonna give you goals. He's gonna give you assists. He's gonna give you a hundred and ten percent. Something that Enkedia doesn't do every, every every fucking minute. He's on every second. He's on there. So let's move on. Um, about two weeks ago, I would say. About two, three weeks ago, we were kind of in panic, panic mode, right? We 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 lost in the in the FA Cup to City. We lost to Everton. We drew to Brentford. The sky is falling. We're gonna lose the league. We're bottling it. We're bottlers. Blah blah blah. Um, where's your panic meter at right now? How are you feeling? Um, we have a chance to go five points clear on Wednesday. Uh, we can you can touch on that a little bit too. How you feel Wednesday is gonna go? Uh, what, how, how are you feeling right now? I feel great about Wednesday. Uh, it's tough to beat a team twice in succession in general, let alone when you are Everton and the team you're trying to beat is league leaders Arsenal at home. So I feel good about Wednesday. My panic meter is definitely not reset, and I think I'm probably going to be at about a, a 5 or 6 out of 10 minimum for the rest of the way in. Uh, after the Man U game, I realized we were really going to win the title and that I would be devastated if we didn't win the title. And I thought, this is great. We're going to win it. I'm so happy. That's not how these things work. Uh, it's not easy. If it was easy, everybody would win the title instead of just teams backed by oil nations and uh, Leicester City at one time and Liverpool at one time. It's not going to be easy. I'm not cut out for this shit. I am much too high anxiety of a person to watch Arsenal contend for the title. And my panic meter is a, a hard six, soft seven, and it's just stuck there, man. I'm still worried about our ability to break down a low block to the tune of like three goals because that's the that's the level of breaking down a low block that makes me feel comfortable. I'm worried about our ability to win away uh, against City, against Liverpool, against Newcastle. Not based on anything specific performance-wise, but just because that shit's going to be hard. 
And uh, I'm just worried because I'm a worrier. And uh, God, this title race stuff, man, this shit is stressful. And uh, after that Enkedia winner against Man U, I really didn't think it would be. I thought it was all going to be sunshine and rainbows. It is not. It's a 7 out of 10 on the panic meter instead. Yeah, um, I think all of us after United game kind of fell into the media narrative that like the league is decided in January when that's never been the case in its life. Um, I've, I've touched upon before that you know the same people who are calling us bottlers are the same ones that said we didn't have a chance, we're not going to win the league, like, a month ago, I know we had an eight-point lead. I've always said, like, I, I, it's a long season. And the halfway point is a little bit later this year than usual. So I think people kind of kind of skipped our minds a little bit. Oh, shit, like, early January isn't really early January anymore. It's more like early February is early January, traditionally early January, because that's when you usually get to the turn. Um, much like in real life, I'm a hard four, soft three. Um, I'm not panicking. Um, I actually do feel more confident after today, and specifically after watching Man City. Maybe not Man City today, but they're they don't have the juice. They don't have the juice like they had in years past, right? Like for them, the Bruyne's age curve, Silva's checked out, Gundogan's age curve. I think they're all checked out. I think they're Uh, all checked out. I think I think except for Highland and Grealish, uh, Mares too professional. I think. They have bigger fish to fry. I think they want the Champions League. I, I think they don't have leaders in their locker room right now that can be like, hey, listen, don't fucking dick around and and, and fuck up the league and then we lose the Champions League, right? They don't have the Zinchenkos in there. They don't have the Gabriel Jesus in there. They're the ones who want to win absolutely everything, right? Um, they have some heavy fixture congestion. They have Bristol in the FA Cup, which they're going to beat Bristol in the FA Cup, right? They're going to move on to the next round. They have the second leg against Red Bull uh, Leipzig uh, in the Champions League where it's 1-1 right now, praying that goes to extra time, and they're playing, right before, three days before that match, they're playing Fulham away. they got to travel down to Fulham, play a good defensive side, break them down. It's going to be a 90-minute grind for them. Um, people talk about, oh, we got to play, so we still got to play City away, we got to play at Anfield, we got to play at St. James, which is true, we do. But you're this is that's under the assumption that City aren't going to drop as many points as we are, and I don't think you can say I don't think you can say that. I think we win on Wednesday, we're five points clear. All you have to do is match them the rest of the way. That's it. Yeah. That's all you have to do is match them, and I think that's so likely. We don't we're not anything except Europa League. I think even with Europa League, we have Sporting next round, which you know they're they're a scrappy team, but I think we'll be fine. They lost their shout they out lost Hector Bellerin. Yeah, Hector Beller. Maybe he has something for us. We'll see. Um, I, I, I just, I'm not saying it's guarantee. I'm saying I am feeling really good if we win on Wednesday. Wednesday is very important. If you lose your game in hand, you fucked it, right? You, if your game in hand's Everton at home and you fuck it, you don't deserve to be champions. You don't deserve to be champions because those are the type of matches that you have to say, listen, we're going to play our best football of the year here. We're going to make a statement here. Everyone's watching us. I mean, Champions League, not even everybody's watching us. Everyone who in the UK who doesn't like Champions League or can't afford the cable package is watching. Um, and yeah, I, I'm, feel, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling really good. I think we're getting back to our football pre-World Cup. I saw it after second something in the second half of Villa. I saw something today I saw. And we have, we forget where Gabriel Jesus is coming back. Emil Smith Rowe is going to be joining this this team. Reese Nelson allegedly was, was playing well before he got hurt. 
He scored two goals against Forrest before he got hurt. I'm not saying he's going to be a world beater, but if he's your if he's your her, your floor when it comes to attackers, you're in a good spot. If Reese Nelson's your floor, you're in a good spot. Um, I think when it comes, we can ret- rotate a lot against Sporting. Uh, I, I think the first leg is away, um, which you know maybe you toss out a little bit of a of a big rotated squad there, and you hope to get a win. And then second, and at home you play a more first eleven, and then you kind of just see it out. Um, without trying to like put too much effort in it, a lot like that we did in the in the group stages, right? Um, yeah, so I, I'm feeling good. Less about a little bit because of how we're playing. A lot about how I watch City play. Um, I don't think the City team is the one to be scared of. They essentially have to be flawless. I would say pretty much flawless the rest of the season if they want to accomplish everything they want to accomplish. Um, they they do have a good squad, a big somewhat big squad, or I don't even say big squad. I'm gonna say a uh, very deep-ish squad when it comes to talent on the bench. But even so, like, Julian Alvarez hasn't been there before. You know, um... Phillips looks back terrible. And that Phillips means is they have a Rodri-style DM problem. Yeah. Right. If, if they have to rely on a Kanji who has been better than I thought he, he was going to be, um, but he's still a Kanji. Uh, they got rid of Cancelo, weirdly enough. Um, their midfield's a little bit thinner than I, than I think people realize. Yeah. I think if Rodri gets hurt, they might be a little screwed. They've also been so lucky with injuries. And, and to go through a grind of a season and that happen to you is, is very rare. So maybe we'll see an injury. I, I mean, I'm not wishing an injury on them because I, I know that usually karma bites you back. Um, but yeah, I think I'm feeling I okay. will. Uh, Rodri I'm Holland okay. double leg break collision with each other. I'll wish it. I'll wish it. Hey, listen, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not touching that. Um, um, you heard it here first. Uh, Wahali. Um, anyway, so let's. I mean, we did a little bit of a title discussion, but let's talk about the rest of the season. Let's talk about what's ahead. We have, I believe, it's it's Everton and then it's Bournemouth. Um, which you know, this could really be a great week for us. Or I guess it's Saturday. We're going to discuss next week. Can be a really great week for us. Uh, wait, how do you see yeah. the next? How do you see this time next week? Where do you see us? This time next week, we are not as in far of, in front of City as we fantasize about being. Maybe we're five points ahead of City. We have killed the United title challenge hype, uh, at least this time around. It will always rise up again the second they have a single-digit deficit to the title. They are in a title race. Um, but we will have taken care of business. Whether that means all wins or a couple wins in the draw, we will have matched City well enough. I think we're about five points ahead of City. We've killed the United dream, except for at United Trey. He's still going to be dreaming that dream, and good for him. He deserves it. Uh, And I think that's where we'll be. We'll be stable. We'll be content. But we won't be uh, we won't be dancing on tables or anything. We will still have that. Hey, it comes down to the big games. You got to get a result against City, against Newcastle, against Liverpool. We're not shaking that until we go out there and do it. Yeah. Um. I guess a couple of things. First thing, where do you see the left pod being this time next week? Uh, I liked what I saw today, and I think it's yeah, I think it's the death of Eddie and Kedia, perhaps. Uh, and I know we're all Gabby Jesus waiting room, and uh, and Kedia was Gabby Jesus waiting room, but I think Trossard is taking that seat in the waiting room, and yeah, I think we'll see that going through this stretch and maybe just continuously until uh, until Jesus is back and fully fit. And I was going to ask about Jesus. There's been rumors, which is like very 
dubious rumors that he was going to be back for Brentford. Uh, not Brentford, sorry. Bournemouth at home. Is it Bournemouth at home? Yeah, Bournemouth at home. Um, do you think we see a surprise post by the Arsenal Twitter staff this week of him in training? Yeah, so I don't traffic in rumors. That's one thing people need to know about me. I do not traffic in rumors. I do traffic in misinformation, however. Jesus, he's showing up. He's in for the next lineup. All right. Um, yeah, I, I think we might get some Jesus news this week. But yeah, I think it's good stopping point we discussed a lot probably more than we probably should have but you know when it, when you win you celebrate the good times um and then when you lose you absolutely or draw to shit teams you panic uh, vehemently so i think that's a good place to stop thank you for joining